0: Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, isn't it? It feels good to know that our sovereign God is a good God who has provided many, many good blessings for us. I always marvel at my my friends who don't believe in a God, who are skeptics and atheists and unbelievers who tend to celebrate Thanksgiving. I ask them, to whom are you giving thanks. And I've gotten replies like, well, we like to thank the universe. Then I say, you're not an atheist. You worship the universe as your God who provides good things for you, as the giver of blessings to you. You can't really be an atheist and give thanks. So it's a terrible moment for an atheist, G.K. Chesterton says, when something so profoundly beautiful happens to them and they have no one to thank. So it is good to believe and a good God that we know is the provider of all those good blessings. And I am thankful at this season when Richard asked us to consider what we're thankful for. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for our church, for Woodmont Baptist Church and all that it's meant to me and my family over the last two years. I'm thankful for everyone who serves, for our greeters who were here this morning. Chris greeted my family this morning. Thank you, Chris, with a big smile. For all of our Bible study leaders, for Lee Ellen who taught our our combined adult Sunday school class this morning. I'm grateful for our team, our staff that we have in place right now. Trey and his wife are in Arizona this morning, but I'm, I'm so grateful for our whole team here. I'm grateful for those who Assist our senior adults. Calvin driving the bus, week in, week out. Those who help get our senior adults here and safely in the building and get them home. And I'm grateful for those who teach children and youth and, and preschoolers uh, who serve my family in particular, and those who have a passion for college students. I'm thankful for those who sing in the choir and help lead in, in worship, and for the security team and for the food pantry folks, for the burrow bags, for the deacons who serve our deacon chair. Uh, uh, the last three years that, that I've been here, we've had just three godly, humble men who have served as deacon chairman, who I have really been grateful for, for all of our committee members and team members. Thank you. I'm grateful for the work that you do to advance the kingdom through Woodmont Baptist Church. Now, I know uh, a lot of you are early Christmas folks. You've seen Christmas decorations all over town. I saw the big Christmas tree over at the new Vertus building in front of the True Food uh, there. They have a massive... Christmas tree. It's beautiful, but you know, they put it up like the week before Thanksgiving, and that that kind of gets under my skin a little bit. But uh, some of you I know are, are early Christmas observers, and next week you're going to come into a beautiful sanctuary that will be all decked out for Advent, but we're not there yet. So just pump the brakes on Christmas for a second, okay? We're going to talk about Thanksgiving one more time uh, today as we get to celebrate this season of gratitude before we dive into the the busy and wonderful season of of Advent. So I want to spend some more time exploring this this topic of Thanksgiving, and our text is one that many of you are familiar with. It's from the first uh, letter to the Thessalonians, three short verses, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, so if you would stand with me, if you're able to, in honor of God's Word as I read these three powerful commandments from the Holy Scriptures this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time uh, being told what to do. I don't enjoy people telling me what I should do. Just ask my mom. She would be the first to tell you that that just kind of gets under my skin as well as early Christmas celebrating. I I have a hard time when, when people boss me around or order me about. I, in my fallen nature, you know, in my human arrogance and pride, I like to do my own thing. I like to decide for myself what is best and do that. But God's not done with me yet. And as I am being conformed to his likeness and as I am growing in grace and maybe as I grow up a little bit as well, I'm learning to trust the commands of Scripture, the imperatives that we see given to us in God's Word. These prescriptions that we have in the Bible are actually given to us in order to both further increase God's glory in in the kingdom advancement and our own personal flourishing and good as well. The imperatives of the Bible are graciously given to us as a gift because they are actually God's best for us. And as Christians, we believe that God's best is the best. No matter what our culture says, we believe that God's best is the most desirable thing in the world. So we can affirm that Scripture is actually prescribing for us the best way to live, the way that's going to lead to flourishing and thriving, not only for ourselves as individuals, but for our community and for our church and for the world, and most importantly, for the kingdom of God as it advances, as God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So these three commandments this morning, they're very short, only a, a few words They're from the Apostle Paul, and it comes near the end of his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. We happen to have church members who've spent the last 12 years in Thessalonica, which is now Thessaloniki in in Greece, and they're with family in Iowa this morning, so they're not here to correct my pronunciation, which is great. But it's a big city today, Thessaloniki. Eric Titchener was telling me that there's over a million people in the greater metro area of Thessaloniki. Who's been there? Anybody been to Thessaloniki? Wow, a bunch of you. Awesome. That's fantastic. Sarah, I didn't know you've been too. That's that's great. A lot of you guys have been and served there with the Titcheners in Thessaloniki and see what God's doing there. And it was a big city back in Paul's day too. We know that it was a, a situated on a central strategic sh- trade route, both east and west on the Ignatian Way, but it also was a major port city. You've seen those of you who've been there, how it's on the sea there, the Aegean Sea. And therefore, it was a mission field with a ton of potential to impact the world. I was talking with someone just yesterday in Morgan's family at Thanksgiving about how Jesus strategically went to these areas that were situated on trade routes because in God's sovereignty, he knew the spread of the gospel would go through natural means as people moved throughout the the known world at that time. So in Thessalonica, there was already a a sizable Jewish population when Paul showed up and and he brought Timothy and Silas with him. And as was their custom, they went first to the synagogue to explain to the, the Jewish people from their own scriptures how the Messiah had indeed been sent to earth by God, and he had come to fulfill, not to abolish, but to fulfill all the Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Mashiach, he was the lamb without blemish, whose blood had made atonement for God's people once and for all. So, of course, many of these Jews and even some God-fearing Gentiles, we read in Acts 17, believed in Thessalonica, and they accepted this good news, this gospel message of Jesus Christ, and so Paul and his associates planted First Baptist Church, Thessalonica, and then the government officials, of course, cracked down on this new sect, they called it, of Christianity, and so Paul and his friends had to flee, and they left Thessalonica, but Just a few months later, Paul wrote this first letter to this fledgling congregation as a means of encouragement and also instruction in correcting some theological issues that they had had concerning the end times and those kinds of things. But here in chapter 5, he gives this church three key directives, three commandments for living the Christian life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving. These should be the the hallmarks of any Christ follower. Look at Philippians uh, chapter one, verses three and four. When Paul begins this letter to the church in Philippi, he himself exhibits each one of these traits as he writes he says in verse 3 i thank my god in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy you see joy prayer and thanksgiving all in those verses i think about the godliest people that you know for a minute here okay when i think about the heroes of my my, you know, the heroes of the Christianity in my life that I've been privileged to know and walk with as friends, they all exhibit these three traits. They are joyful people beyond belief. They are constantly prayerful people leaning on the everlasting promises of God. And they are immensely thankful and gracious, grateful people. All three of those things are the marks of a mature Christian. The Christian life is not meant to be a miserable life, is it? We're not calling someone to be a a hermit and to be miserable for the rest of their lives. We're calling someone, even if they are a hermit, to flourish and to thrive. It's not a bad way to live, joyful, prayerful, and grateful, is it? Therefore, Christians are to be full, first and foremost, of joy, You know, joy is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It's not something that we can whip up on our own. It's not something that we can just produce. Be joyful, be joyful. It's the gracious gift of the Spirit in us who brings joy to fruition in our lives each and every day. The Spirit is the one who, when the rest of the world would panic and despair, the Spirit whispers to our souls, be joyful. Be joyful, for I have overcome the world. You have nothing to fear. The Spirit constantly reminds us that nothing in this world can separate us from the amazing love of God that is now ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in this world can steal our joy because our joy is rooted somewhere else. It's a joy that's not based on our circumstances in the present, but it's it's the kind of deep, lasting, abiding joy that comes from knowing Christ and being united with him in our baptism. And this commandment to rejoice always is not any more difficult for you or me today than it was for the Christians in the first century to whom this uh, commandment was originally addressed. You think about what they were enduring, right? Systemic persecution throughout the Roman Empire, often leading to imprisonment or death, horrendous torture and death. Some of them died as gladiators in the circus and in the arenas. It's, it, when you think about what we are enduring today compared to that, we have no right to complain. Even Paul, who often wrote from prison, or under house arrest would sing and laugh in the face of trials knowing that God's good purposes were being worked out in his own life his chains served to advance the gospel he said look at Romans chapter 5 verse 3 here In the first two verses, he talks about our our future hope and how we rejoice in our right standing with God both now and forever and the, the future hope of glory we have. And not only that, he says, but we also rejoice in our present sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, rejoicing in the midst of suffering is entirely possible for Christians because we know that God does not waste pain. We can be confident that in our suffering God will somehow redeem and use our pain for both our good and God's glory in this life or the next we may not see it the next commandment here in verse 17 builds on this idea rejoice always now pray without ceasing pray continually you know prayer is the constant reminder that God is in charge and we are not it's being aware of our dependence on God's perfect power and provision every minute of every day. When we pray, we're expressing reliance, not on our own feeble strength, but on God's omnipotent strength. So prayer actually removes the barriers from our joy. There are barriers to joy, and prayer breaks down those walls. You know, a general spirit of prayerfulness. You think about the heroes of the faith that you know. That, that spirit of constantly being in prayer will inevitably overflow in joy as the prayer is reminded of God's goodness and present grace in their lives. So, this commandment to always be in prayer doesn't mean to walk around always going, Dear God, please help me to have a good day. Please, you know, guide me. That's not what it's talking about here. To pray continually is, is to what I had a professor in college who defined prayer as simply moving your head into your heart. To bring your anxious thoughts down into the sacred space where the indwelling of the Holy Spirit fills you up. That is prayer. To be constantly aware of God's presence through the Holy Spirit in your life, that is to be constantly in a position of prayer where we humbly submit our thoughts to the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that brings us to the final command, which is our point today, to give thanks in all circumstances. Again, this is not really a separate commandment. It's, it's part of this trio of instructions that all spring forth out of the great central truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Being ever joyful, ever prayerful, ever grateful, it's not about doing three different things. It's it's about living a singular kind of life that is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ and built on the foundation of faith in him. That's why, you know, commentators, when they look at verse 18 here, and they they say that Paul says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, he's referring to all three of these things, not just being grateful, but these are all part of the same kind of life. It's God's good will for you to flourish by living joyfully, prayerfully, and gratefully, no matter what your present circumstances may be. You know, when I was in college, I had the amazing privilege of returning to Australia. I went to Australia when I was a senior in high school, which was crazy. For 10 days, it was amazing. And I had the amazing privilege to go back uh, two summers in college and spend the, the good part of those summers in Australia. And for a, a big chunk of that time, I was boarded up by a, a really hospitable, kind Chinese family. And they were immigrants from Hong Kong who'd only been in Sydney for a few years, but they had four adult children, and the children had all accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and come to a a saving faith in Jesus and had been born again and experienced the new life that comes through faith in Christ. But their parents were still practicing Buddhists. They were from Hong Kong, they didn't speak much English, and they practiced a certain form of Ancestor worship and Taoism mixed with Buddhism. And there were shrines all over the house, both to Buddha and to their ancestors. And And their adult children prayed for them every day with such earnest, painful, tearful prayers for their their parents who were lost and searching. And they, they explained to me that these shrines all over the house were all an attempt by these parents to manipulate their circumstances through currying some kind of divine favor in order to make things go well for them in their present lives. And the kids knew how futile and sad that was. They prayed to their ancestors, asking them to give them good fortune. They would eat this disgusting little fruit that had been pickled for like 50 years, Years, kumquats. You ever had a kumquat before? They they pickled kumquats and they ate it not because it was healthy, not because it tasted good, but because it was supposed to bring good luck and good fortune to them. Almost all religions are like that. People observe certain rituals or they obey specific commands as a means of trying to manipulate the gods so that good things will happen to them. And if you are here today because you think sitting in a pew makes things go better for you, that's wrong. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about understanding the truth that our God is sovereign over all, that he's the maker of heaven and earth, and he is good all the time. We know that he has a plan As Ephesians 1 says, for the fullness of time, a plan to unite all things back unto himself. That plan is always for good and not for evil. Because ever since the the time of the fall in Genesis 3, God has been about the work of redeeming this fallen world and making all the wrongs right, bringing it all back to himself And he's doing it because he's compelled by his amazing agape love. His never-ending love is what makes him act and drives him. So we can trust that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've been through, that somehow, in some way, our good, good Father is in heaven, and he's somehow using it to work out his good, redemptive purposes There's a verse that often gets taken out of context, but it's still a valid promise of scripture that we can claim, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God never wastes our pain, but he uses it in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. You know, we may not see the ways that God is using our pain and the tragic circumstances around us, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. The way that John Piper uh, describes God's sovereign plan is like a mosaic. You ever see a mosaic? You know, like a dragon park down here at Fanny, what's it called? Fanny D's Park, is that what it's called? Yeah. If you look at the, the mosaic of the dragon up close it just looks like some little pieces of you know pottery that were stuck into this cement and it doesn't make any sense but when you step back you see it's a beautiful dragon each piece had been laid there for a specific reason by the artist who designed this huge sculpture but when you look at it like this you can't tell what it is in a mosaic That's how you and I see this world, see our lives. We are so unbelievably limited in our perspective, but God sees in whole. We see in part. We have to trust that God sees the big picture when we do not. In our fallen, sinful nature, we all have a tendency to complain about our circumstances, And Satan would love to keep us in this perpetual state of grumbling and whining and being miserable. I've heard it said that grumbling is the accent of hell and gratitude is the accent of heaven. I think that's true. We can't be productive for the kingdom when we're focused inward and whining about our circumstances. But there is a cure. I mentioned it our Thanksgiving banquet, which by the way was awesome, thank you to all who helped make that such a wonderful time of of celebrating what God's done in our lives as individuals and as a church, but I mentioned there that gratitude, which is being thankful for the reality of all the amazing ways that God has indeed blessed us, that that is God's prescription for much of what ails us and our world. Sheer gratitude can be the supernatural antidote for our sinful inclination to grumble and whine about our own condition. That that fallen state of being curved in on ourselves robs us of our joy, of our hope, and of our ability to be used by God to advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that many of you here have gone through or are going through incredibly difficult circumstances. The reality is that we all have our issues. Every family has their issues. Sin wreaks havoc on all of us, on our marriages, our children, our jobs, our finances, our health. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. I don't want to minimize the very real and present pain that many of you are walking through, but I do want you to know that pain is not the end. Your pain doesn't define you, and your pain is not going to be wasted. It's God's will for us to give thanks instead of giving up. There's an old preacher that some of you have heard of, John Claypool. He, was, he grew up in Nashville, but he was the pastor at Crescent Hill Baptist Church in Louisville about the same time that this church called a young preacher named Bill Sherman. And Reverend Claypool was living in Louisville in 1968 with his wife and their two young children. They had a 10-year-old son named Rowan and an eight-year-old daughter named Laura Lou. And that year, Laura Lou was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukemia and 18 months later, she died. I can't fathom that kind of grief, but I understand that there are several of you here who've experienced similar kinds of, of loss and, and tragedy in your lives, and, and even worse than that. And I know it's normal in these times to question God, His presence, His goodness, even His very existence in times like those. But Reverend Claypool, full of the hope of the gospel, got up in front of his congregation only four short weeks after Laura Lou's death. And he stood behind the pulpit and delivered a sermon called Life is Gift. In it, he told a story about an old Bendix washing machine. I've never heard of a Bendix washing machine. Anybody heard of Bendix? You know what, Bendix Carlton's nodding his head. He knows what I'm talking about. An old Bendix washing machine and how the memory of that washing machine helped him navigate out of the valley of loss and grief. Claypool was a young boy during World War II, and like a lot of middle-class families during that time, his family didn't own a washing machine for their clothes, and gasoline was rationed during the war, so his family didn't drive several miles away to the laundromat, so keeping clothes clean was a real challenge in his household, and then a family friend of theirs was drafted into the service, and his wife prepared to go with them, so Claypool's dad offered to store their furniture and some of their belongings at the Claypool household. And one of the things that they suggested the family use was their Bendix washing machine while they were gone. He said it'd be better for it to be running than rusting away. So it was part of John's chores to wash the clothes in his house. And he thought that old green Bendix washing machine was so cool. It was like a a robot that just magically, you dump the dirty clothes in, put in some soap, and then it spits out some clean clothes. It was incredible, and he really developed an affinity for this machine. But when the war ended a few years later, their friends returned, and in the meantime, John was a young kid. He'd forgotten how they even came by the washing machine, and they'd had it for five years. So when they came to take it back, John was mad about it, and he let everybody know he was mad about it. And his mother, wise as moms are, she sat him down and said, now wait a minute, John, you must remember that machine never belonged to us in the first place. That we got to even use it at all was a a gift. So instead of being mad that it's being taken away now, let's just use this occasion to be grateful that we had it at all. In those days following Laura Lou's death, the Lord brought the Bendix washing machine back to John's memory. He realized how important gratitude was in times like these. In the sermon, he said, I am here to testify that this is the only way out of the valley of loss. When I remember that Laura Lou was a gift, pure and simple, something I neither earned nor deserved nor had a right to, And when I remember that the appropriate response to a gift, even when it is taken away, is gratitude, then I am better able to try and thank God that I was ever given her in the first place. His precious daughter, just like all of life, was a gift, unearned, undeserved, and freely given by the giver of all good gifts. When he realized that simple fact, everything changed for him. He could now begin healing from this deep tragedy of her loss by focusing instead on the amazing wonder of her life. He started to see Laura Lou as a marvelous gift from God that he was fortunate enough to share for a time. And by God's grace, he somehow was able to feel grateful He found supernatural strength and healing. He said at the end of the sermon, if we're willing, the experience of grief can deepen and widen our ability to participate in life. We can become more grateful for the gifts we've been given, more open-handed in our handling of the events of life, more sensitive to the whole mysterious process of life, and more trusting in our adventure with God. You know, I've never had to walk down that kind of path of grief that John Claypool walked down. I pray I never have to. But I know this, that when I intentionally make a concerted effort to live more joyfully, more prayerfully, and most importantly, I think, more gratefully, then I am more satisfied and more happy than any earthly circumstance could make me. I am then at home in Christ I'm walking closely with the Spirit who indwells my soul, walking in prayer and in unspeakable joy that no earthly circumstance can rob me of. So let me just close quickly by giving you three practical reminders that can help us live in obedience to God's will. If this is God's will for us, how do we do it? Well first, remember to take the long view. The book of James, reminds us that this life is but a mist. It's a vapor that appears for a little bit and then is gone forever. You know, Herschel came in my office this morning and said, I said, how's your Thanksgiving? He said, Nathan, where does the time go? (laughs) It flies. We need an eternal perspective. I preached just last week on the amazing future hope that we have in the new creation when Jesus returns and fixes everything that's wrong with this world. Whatever we're going through now pale, just pales in comparison to that glorious future. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 says, "For this light, momentary affliction, remember he's writing from prison. <laughs> this is light. This is momentary. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you believe that? I do. Second, remember that everything is gift. In our culture, we often hear that if we work hard for something, we can earn what we have and we can accumulate a lot. The American dream, that's not what the Bible says is best for us. And I can tell you, anyone who's seen a dog catch the car that they're chasing, catching the American dream ain't all that great. The reality is that our sinful state only deserves one thing, death. That means that each breath that we take is not earned or deserved, but it is a gift of God's grace alone, and we should come to see it that way. Finally, third thing is remember that God is God and we are not. Let him be God. You don't have to. You can't. I can't. Let's trust that God sees the big picture when we are so limited in looking at the grand mosaic of this life. But we know the artist. And he's putting together a beautiful scene that one day we will behold with him and we will know in full as he does. So if you're struggling today, don't give up. Try to remember our future glory, the glorious new creation that we're heading towards. Remember that all we have is gift that we don't deserve any of it. I and mean, let God be God. He'll build the mosaic never wasting any of our pain or tragedy but using it to further his beautiful design. Let's pray. Lord God, our hearts are full of gratitude this morning. We come before you keenly aware that nothing that we have is because of any good thing that we've done, but it's all by your grace and by your love. God, we thank you that you have overcome this world so that when we experience tribulation that inevitably comes, we can take heart knowing that you have overcome the world, that you do not waste our pain or tragedy, but you weave it somehow into this tapestry that you are making that only you can see the whole of. God, forgive us for thinking that we are in charge, that we are sovereign. When our view is so limited to our periphery, what we see is such a small part of the whole. God, I thank you that you are the master artist. I pray that you would help us to trust you more. May we step off the the throne of our life and allow you to be in your rightful place of sovereign Lord as you make this beautiful mosaic out of our pain and tragedy, using it all for your grace and for your glory. God, I pray that you would show us more and more what it looks like to walk in joy always, in prayer always, and in gratitude always. May we flourish and thrive the way that you would have us to, as is your good will for us. We love you. We pray these things in the high and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This time we're going to have a time of invitation. If you've never accepted the free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk with you about that right now. If you feel the Spirit working on your heart and you know you need to accept him, Come forward and talk to me about that during our invitation time. If you just want to come pray, maybe you have been in that valley of grief and pain and you've never really come out of it and you know that God is calling you just to be grateful and to, to, to respond in gratitude to the tragedy that's occurred in your life and you're willing to take that. It's not easy. I don't want to minimize that. It's so hard and you can't do it on your own strength. Only the, the, the grace of the Spirit within you can allow you to step out of that valley and to say, thank you, God, for whatever I've been through. I thank you. I'm just grateful for everything. You know, when I talk to Al Dowdy over here, and I, he's been through so much in his life, and when I say, how are you, Al, and I say it with a concerned face, he says, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. That just reminds me uh, of how blessed and grateful I should be. Uh, If that's you this morning and you want to come pray at the altar, it'll be open as well. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church and you're ready to to take that plunge and become a member of our church and and become an active part of what the Lord's doing here and become uh, accountable to the church as a member of this body of Christ, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. Whatever it is that you need to do, let's stand and sing. There is a Redeemer. Thank you, God. Let's sing.